This podcast is a Radio Mike original production. Head to radiomike.com.au to find out more. G'day guys, it is Mike here and this is another Mike Talks. I was so excited to chat to this guy. Um, this guy, actually, because his name is Guy, Guy Davis. Um, I was I was really interested to get to know Guy a little bit more because I've been listening to him on the Four Finger Discount Podcast Network for a while. Um, if you've been listening to, if you've heard every episode of Mike Talks, you will know uh, I chatted to Brendan Dando, who created the Four Finger Discount Podcast Network. Guy, for the past few years, has been on air on their podcast, Four Finger Discount, which is a Simpsons review podcast, but they also do a bunch of other podcasts, um, including a South Park podcast, a Futurama podcast, Seinfeld, Friends, Mandalorian, basically every TV show you've ever watched, as we allude to in this. And Guy's career background was actually in print media and film criticism. And I really wanted to talk to him about his experiences working in the industry because for me, like, it's pretty much only been digital media and online and, you know, radio and podcasting. But, you know, he just has such a, a, a an accomplished career in print ma- media and I just had to find out kind of how he got into it back then. And then because uh, Guy is such an accomplished film critic, I had to put to him some of my favourite millennial movies and get his thoughts on them, uh, which we kind of do at the end of this chat. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Check out the other one with Brendan Dando, which will be on this feed as well. That was a great chat. But without further ado, here is my chat with Guy Davis. Enjoy. Welcome to Mike Talks, the sometimes bonus edition of my podcast that I sometimes do when I sometimes have time, and this week I do have time, and I am joined by the legend that is Guy Davis. Welcome to the show, Guy. Mike, thank you very much for taking out of your increasingly hectic schedule to have a chat with me, because I mean, uh, following Mike on Twitter, it's like, oh my God, what the hell is he up to now? what, What is he not doing? Yeah, because he is uh, <laughs> constantly up to something, you know, whether it's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, putting out short videos or, you know, producing other people's podcasts or, of course, doing his own. So, yeah, Mike is always up to something and I am glad that he yeah, took a, a few moments out of his day to have a chat with me. So thank you very much for having me on, man. Well, you, you're um, you're selling yourself short. You're also a very busy person. And for those who don't know Guy, now this is the first time where we've chatted. Well, we're not even face-to-face. We're doing this over Zoom. We've spoken on the phone once, but we have kind of been in each other's circles for a bit. One reason for that is because you are now the co-host of the Four Finger Discount Simpsons podcast. And I've had Dando on this podcast before from Four Finger Discount. Um, but also you've appeared on Fop with Charlie Clawson a few times and I edit and produce that. So I've heard you talk a lot um, because I listened to Four Finger Discount. Do you want to just give the listeners a bit of background on who you are and what your career has been like and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh Oh gosh, where to begin? Because I'm, uh, I don't know, old. How old actually are you? Thirty-five. I'm fifty-three. Okay. <laughs> Flip it. Flip that. Yeah, <laughs> got close. 
I was channeling something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I look for the bulk of my career. I've been a, a print journalist and and primarily in entertainment. I was a movie reviewer. I'm I'm based in Geelong, Victoria, um, Seattle on the Barwon, and uh, I was the um, the movie reviewer for the new um, the paper down here, the Geelong Advertiser. For, I did that for about 25 years or so. I was a general reporter for them for a while as well, but being a an actual news reporter takes a very specific uh, mindset and personality, which I didn't really have. It, it's easy to it's easy to talk shit about pop culture without having to worry too much about anything, but when you Absolutely. start getting into politics and hot takes on all those yeah. kind of issues, you're like it's just a place people like us don't want to be. Pretty much the case, yeah. I mean, I yeah. didn't really have an aptitude for... You know, knocking on someone's door and saying, so your daughter got hit by a car. Tell me about it. Bet you're feeling bad, right? <laughs> Give me a quote. <laughs> Some people thrive on that. Some people are really good at it. Not me. So, yeah. um, well, I'm with you there, man. Don't worry. Yeah, so it's, I... That's um, why we work in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I initially, you know, started doing reviews and interviews for a street paper down in Geelong called Forte. Uh, you know, it was a bit like uh, Beat or Impress. You find your pubs and clubs and... Yeah. Uh, you know, I was with them for a few years and sort of I learned my trade there. But I mean, I was studying journalism at uni, you know, not really, not really feeling it. <laughs> I mean, I picked up some good, uh, some good education there and all that stuff. But honestly, I learned more from the time I spent at Forte than I did at uni. And then sort of, you know, made my way up the ranks and started working with the advertiser and was doing other jobs in the interim. I mean, this was... um. This is a fun time, Mike, the uh, the 1990s. You can actually sort of make a living or scratch together a living out of writing about pop culture. It wasn't just a hobby. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> was it just like everyone has a pop culture podcast and a YouTube channel and everything like that? Yeah, I bet. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the hustle is real, as they say. Uh, sort of running parallel with that, I was working for um, a joint called Page Masters and I put, put together a TV guide for them. That was oh, syndicated yeah. to um, a bunch of regional papers around the country, maybe a dozen or so at, uh, at its peak. And yeah, I did that again for about 20 years or so. And um, as the media has slowly sort of contracted, 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 and you're getting, you know, fewer people to do more work and all that, uh, I sort of found myself getting edged out of that. And uh, I ended up working for a place in Geelong called Pop Culture, a shop. Oh, well, actually, I mean, I was working at the at their HQ and, you know, doing a bit of marketing stuff and um, also a bit of warehouse stuff. You know, I'd occasionally go in the warehouse and pick and pack and put stuff in boxes and send Funko Pop vinyls all around the world. And that's where I met um, my man, Brendan Dando. He'd actually started there not long before me. And and, and when we're talking about Brendan Dando, we're, we're talking about when he came on my show, I said to him, your whole life is living in the past and trying to monetize it. Like that guy lives and breathes nostalgic pop culture and the the empire he started with the Four Finger Discount Network is just like I look up to him so much in the podcast space. He, he is remarkable. I mean, uh, he is an absolute workhorse. Um, mm. Always, you know, coming up with content, coming up with ideas for content, um, fashioning it into, you know, fashioning my ramblings into something resembling a show. So, yeah, good on him for that. <laughs> no, he, he is remarkable, and you're right. I don't think I've ever seen him in an item of clothing that doesn't reference The Simpsons, Futurama, or an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's what he wears, <laughs> what he's got. Yeah. Uh, no, fantastic, fantastic fella. And, yeah, they plucked me down next to him and said, 
doing what Dando does. <laughs> so I learned from him. Uh, he grasped fairly quickly that, you know, I had a handle on popular culture. I liked movies. I liked TV. And I could kind of talk underwater. It's one of the reasons I'm not working there anymore. I was talking too much and not working enough. Mate, every office I've ever worked in is a bit like that with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he uh, he mentioned that he had this podcast uh, that he was doing about The Simpsons with his mate. I said, that sounds really nice. Good on you. Sounds cool, man. I really Keep it much up. about podcasting. That. <laughs> yeah, I didn't Don't know anything about podcasting this day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that sounds like fun. You have fun. Very patronising <laughs> of me. Um, he was doing it with a gentleman named Mitch and, and, you know, I would come on occasionally and say, Oh, do you want to come on and talk about this movie? You know, I was still reviewing at that stage. Mm. Oh, yeah. Come on and talk about it or come on and talk about, you know, the new Avengers or whatever, which I was happy to do. And, you know, we had, we had fun doing it. Then I believe it was the start of 2020, Mitch decided to pull out of the show. And Dan, asked if I wanted to take a, you know, come on board full time. And I'm like, sounds like fun. <laughs> I was a little less, I was a little less patronizing at this stage. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I saw the effort that Dan was winning and the results he was getting because I mean, he's really good at it. Mm. So uh, yeah, I was happy to jump on his bandwagon and ride his coattails and any other metaphor you, uh, you uh, choose to choose to use. <laughs> and yeah, we, we've been doing it for what? Let's see, 2020, 2020. So we're coming up on three years now. Yeah. And the Four Finger Discount Network like spans now a Simpsons pod, Futurama, Mandalorian, movie reviews, Seinfeld. For like any anything you've watched in your life, they're doing a podcast. And I and I love it. I love the output you guys are doing. And from that story, just that's me kind of getting to know your background as well. There's so many threads I, I kind of want to go down. Like one of the first things you said about how when you were at uni compared to when you started actually working at, was it Forte, that magazine? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and how you actually just, I'm the exact same because, you know, I was studying media at uni and I loved going to uni. I loved my degree. It was great. But when I actually started getting into radio stations and actually working on radio shows and working a panel because that my background is in commercial radio. Like it was like a whole new process. Like I had learned all this theory about media and pop culture, but like to actually get in there and start doing it, you just learn so much more than you ever could from, from a class. Really the case. Yeah. I mean, you do have to get your hands dirty. Look, there's certainly something to be said for theory, but I think once you uh, get in and actually start doing that's when you start learning and mm. it becomes a, a bit of a, I'd like to say perpetual motion machine. You know, you, you learn, you do, you learn, you do, you learn, you do, you learn, you do. I call it a snowball effect. That's a, that's a much better way of putting it. That's why you're <laughs> Mike and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not. Simplify yes. it a bit, man. Yeah. But uh, I honestly, uh, yeah, I had an absolute blast. Yeah. Starting to work at Ford. I mean, this was, you know, I was, in my early twenties, working for this mm. street paper, you know, you're interviewing, uh, you know, bands, musicians, occasionally, you know, other creative types, sort of learning on the fly. As I said, you know, I was doing reviews and I'm, yeah, really just sort of finding my voice. Cause I mean, I had a column there as well and got to do that every week. And, uh, that was, you know, basically I think I went to the editor and said, 
you know, you go to the video store and God, showing my age and showing my timeline here, but yeah, yeah, that's, not, that's not that old, mate. I grew up with video <laughs> stores. Don't worry, I lost a lot of hours browsing the kids section at Video oh, Easy. You, believe you me, lucky, lucky lad. Happy, happy times in your life. <laughs> uh, but I said, you know, you, you go to the video store and all the new releases are out. So I'd like to do a thing where you know, you go to the back shelves and here are some you know hidden gems you might find, and. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sort of parlay that into a column that ran for, well, from like the early 90s and through till about the late 2010s at various yeah. places. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was a great place to learn the mechanics of a quote-unquote newsroom. I mean, it was a very sort of, it wasn't an official newsroom, but it was a work environment. So learning how the mm. journalistic procedure worked or the editorial procedure worked because I sort of rose up the ranks there as well. And uh, it was, no, it was great. It was fantastic. And then, um, sorry, I've got, I've, I'm, I've going off on different tangents and sort of chasing my own tail here. That's actually kind of leads a bit into what I was, what I was going to say next, because it's interesting as someone who's been in the media industry for so long, like how, what are your observations of, and you alluded to it a little bit, but what are your observations from literally starting in print media to now where it's like, what, what even is print media now? And what even is online journalism when it's so much of just, let's make as many articles as possible with the most clickbaity pictures and headlines. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you think of this new media environment of YouTube and, and, and content creators and podcasts and everything like that? It's, it's really interesting, Mike, because, I mean, I remember there was a, there was a famous quote by uh, Francis Coppola who made The Godfather and Apocalypse Now and all that kind of stuff. In the 80s or the 70s, he said, you know, like technology is going to reach the point, he said, where, you know, some 12-year-old girl from a small town will be able to, you know, make a movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, she won't, she won't have anything restricting her or holding her back. You know, she'll have the resources. And, you know, the only thing that will be limiting her is her imagination. We're like... Wow, Francis, that sounds like a wonderful dream. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll happen sometime <laughs> yeah. around circa the year 3000. And of course, you know, cut to, a, cut to a, you know, a couple of decades later, and that's exactly the case. We're here. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm all for, you know, the democratization of media, you know, seizing the means of production, all that kind of stuff. The only downside that I can see is it just leads to too much content. So <laughs> then you've got to... Uh, then you've got your work cut out for you, finding something that really vibes with you, so to speak. Do you feel that though, um, and not to like go back to your age, but like in all honesty, do you think that things were simpler back when you were young in terms of choosing what to watch, listen to, engage with? Like, do you feel overwhelmed now? And and as someone who's actively observed it, what what do you think of that? It's I, I I do think it's the case, and I don't want to sound all sort of woe is me, but I mean, yeah. I really think there is such a thing as you know, um, you know, analysis paralysis. You've just you, you, you're you know stymied by having too many choices, and you know, mm. it can result in like, you know, what I think I'm just going to go with what I'm familiar with, <laughs> as opposed to maybe seeking out something new, because you know it's always been my uh, inclination or recollection that yeah you find a voice that you can trust in the critical space. And it's like, you know what? This movie's actually pretty good or this book's pretty good or so-and-so. And it's like, okay, well, I'll go check that out. Uh, and now you've sort of got voices coming at you from every different angle saying, no, check this out or check me out. Or you might like this. I'm like, 
my brain's just you know got a little too much mileage on the meter and i don't have the bandwidth to say oh, no i'm gonna do this 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 and this and like oh, i think i'll just go with that so it can be a little overwhelming absolutely i mean you know you hear talk about oh gatekeeping as a bit of a dirty word it's like oh well, you're only going to let us watch this kind of thing if we listen to your opinions like and i've always said this i always viewed gatekeeping as someone who ushers you in as opposed to keeping you out you know i'm the kind of gatekeeper right, is like okay. hey there's some good stuff over that way if you go if I head through that gate you know you'll, you'll do all right but uh or you know occasionally you've got to slam the gate and say don't watch that it's garbage yeah so i think like with gatekeeping in in fandom like I I always see gatekeeping as like people who are like you're not a real fan unless X Y Z right and it's like the Star Wars community seems to be really big with this where it's like if you like the prequels you're not an actual Star Wars and you know shit like that and <laughs> to be honest I I reckon fandom brings out the worst in me because I'm one of those people who I get so obsessed with something. And I, if I like something, I really like it. And then if I see someone else who likes it but doesn't get it as much as me, I just get angry at them. I'm like, you you could never possibly understand this thing to the level at which I do, and I don't want you to enjoy it because of that. I've been trying to work on that over the years, to be honest. Good for you, Mike. That is, a, that is an issue you should tackle. Uh <laughs> No, and look, believe me, I know what it's like to be to love something very, very much. You know, to love a, a piece of uh, art or entertainment or culture or whatever so much that you're like, they made this especially for me. You don't get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I've said this on the show that um, that I do with Dando that um, you know, or or even the shows I've done with Charlie, um, there's nothing finer than you know starting to watch a movie or starting to read a book or hearing a song's like, oh yeah, you, you get me. Yeah. You yeah, and me are simpatico. Yeah. It just, uh, because as I always say, you know, you, you, we tell stories and we read stories to know that we're not alone in the world. So yeah. That's uh, yeah. I've never thought about it like that. That's, that's really fascinating because it's true. Like some stuff, sometimes you hear a song or an album and, and, and you just like, okay, this is exactly what I needed at this exact point of my life. And you're like, it feels like I'm being spoken to by this artist right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to get too sort of, um, I don't know, maudlin or preachy or, you know, <laughs> revealing much. Um, it, it sometimes comes from very, very unexpected sources. I mean, um, there was a time about... Uh, 2013 or so going through a really rough patch in my life you know i'd had a very bad breakup and that sort of had me questioning about a lot of stuff my father had died a few years beforehand yeah. there was a lot of stuff that i hadn't acknowledged in my life and it was sure starting to sort of make its way to the surface and you know i was just feeling very anxious and sad all the time great <laughs> fun fun times <laughs> I went to see. It sounds was, like my whole life, to be honest. Mate. <laughs> I, I was still reviewing at this stage, and I went to see a movie called After Earth. That's the Will Smith. Oh uh, yeah, with Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. I went and wasn't it like a? a it was quite panned critically, wasn't it? it? Is was, that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah, and I mean, oh, it's you know, it's a nepotism project for you know, it's it's Will Smith's present to Jaden Smith. I'm hey, son, I'm going to make mm. you a movie star for your birthday. 
you know, M. Night Shyamalan as the, um, as the director and people are going, oh, I don't know about this guy anymore. Mm. So I went in with, you know, uh, guarded expectations. And there's a scene in it where Will Smith is talking about, <laughs> it's a silly movie about fighting aliens and all that kind of it. Actually, it's not. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. I think it's a bit underrated. Uh, but there's a scene where I can talking, tell. <laughs> there's a scene where he's talking about he was fighting this alien that was going to kill him, and he sort of had this moment where he realised he was going to die, and um, he started talking about fear and you know saying, I think the line was something like you know, danger is very real, but fear is um is something that you you've conjured up in your mind and it's a reaction to something that hasn't happened or may never happen. And for some reason that just really resonated in my head. You know, I was like the stuff that I'm worried about may not actually happen, may not actually be real. And I may have the ability to sort of, you know, rewrite my own story and you know rewrite my own future yeah. and that kind of which is a you know it's a little late to get that but that's in the, the thing. 40s but uh yeah. <laughs> yeah but but that's the thing fear kind of does dictate your future mm. because you're like i can't do this because this might happen and then yeah. because of that arbitrary link you've made of that fear of of a reality that's not even come to fruition you're just never gonna go and do that thing that you kind of want to do, right? And yeah, I think that is really powerful. And the, and the other thing with that is like, even though you look at something like After Earth, which I guess like I haven't seen it, but you know, it if you go by popular critical opinion, it's a bad movie, right? But I have tried in the last few years to kind of stamp out me saying that something is bad or shit or not funny or not good because I'm like, and I, and I actually learned this in my media degree, which is that every single person that engages with anything, show, movie, album, game, book, whatever, the meaning is different for every person based on their experience of the world. So something that like resonates super hard with me, someone else might be like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. But it's like, it's not your place. And, and maybe as a critic, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Like, it's not your place to tell someone else this is a objectively bad thing. It's more your place to be like, I think this, and for me, it was this. But yeah. I always say like a critic is just one person's opinion at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it is. I mean, it's sort of implicit in anything that you write or anything that you broadcast or anything that you podcast. But, you know, the, it's always prefaced by three little words, my opinion is, or I believe mm. this. And then mm. everything you say afterwards like, you, know, you can take or leave. I mean, if you put some stock in my opinion, yeah, by all means, listen. I mean, if I tell you that so-and-so is shit, you know, you might, you know guy hasn't led me too far astray in the past, but then you might. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have good friends who I, you know, will recommend stuff to, but a good one of them says, yeah, I always go the opposite of what you pick. <laughs> and, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, yeah, that's still, you doing your job as a critic because he knows I disagree with everything Guy thinks. I'm happy to be a barometer in that way. <laughs> it, it's it's funny as well, though, because, like, a, a, an example I always think of is my favourite album of all time is Blink-182's self-titled album from 2003. Now, I doubt you've heard it, but 
the reason I love it so much is because all of the themes of that album spoke to me at the time I heard it. Yeah. None of it I really relate to now, but when I heard it, it was like, just this is my inner dialogue yeah. in music form. And like, I'm sure if you listened to it, you'd be like, I don't relate to any of this. Like, it's sort of like, yes. yeah. Well, actually, Guy, the 2003 self-titled Blink-182 album was a noticeably darker shift for the band, okay, but then. we won't get into that here. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, like I said, like, texts have different interpretations for different people. Hey, I wanted to do this thing, if, if it's cool. Of course. As I mentioned, I mentioned to you, but I've got to explain it to the listeners. As a professional film critic that you are, and you've got a, had a very successful career in film criticism, I love movies but i'm always like i don't care as much about the quality of filmmaking i just want to see a movie that has a funny story or something that i like about it right so what i wanted to do here today with you is i've got 10 millennial movies that i think a lot of millennials really like and have a lot of nostalgia towards but I don't necessarily know if they're good films. And I want your honest take as a film reviewer on some of these movies. Okay. And also as a card carrying member of Generation X. So yeah. <laughs> so what the kids All are right. into. Okay, fine. Go ahead, Mike. If you me. haven't if you haven't seen them, just that's fine. We can just skip over and I've got some backups. Okay. So start off with what I think is an easy one. Uh, and don't worry about disappointing me. What are your thoughts on the 2003 Jack Black film School of Rock? I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, it's an interesting one because it's – I'm, I'm going to put my movie nerd hat here on. <laughs> movie nerd, nerd hat on. So, yeah, apologies about that. But, yeah, it's by a guy <laughs> called Richard Linklater, who I really dig. Yeah. made a lot of re- movies that I just uh, – uh, part of my personal pantheon. I mean, Days of Confused – it's spiritual sequel. Everybody wants some, which is a really, really good movie that not enough, not enough people have seen. The Before trilogy, the Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy movies. Uh, oh yeah, I mean that. He did Boyhood as well, didn't he? He did Boyhood as well. His, yeah, he's yeah. a really interesting career in terms of just the stuff that he takes on. I mean, you can find sort of thematic similarities in, in a lot of his stuff. But School of Rock seemed like, oh, he's taking a bit of a swing for the um, the commercial big leagues here. You know, Jack Black was. Uh, becoming a big name at that stage. I think he he was you know coming off high fidelity and all that. And I think this was one of the first things where it's like, yeah, let's make uh let's see if we can make a whole movie around Jack Black. And of course he lived up to it and then some. I'm a, yeah, I'm a fan yeah. of School of Rock. There's a, I, I haven't rewatched it in a very long time, I gotta say. I won't say it's one of my all-time favorites, but it's certainly one that I think it, yeah, it just gets the job done. There are there are movies like that when it's not really the way anymore. I mean, not not enough people are sort of watching free to wear TV, but say you're sort of flicking through the channels, you go, "Oh, School of Rock's on." Yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> so, you know, movies like The Fugitive or Argo or something like that. I mean, it's like, yeah, all right, yeah, sticking with that one. That's good. I mean, yeah, something yeah. that if you land on it, it's like, yeah, fantastic. It's like you you found five bucks. You're happy to sit through it. Yeah, yeah. You found yeah, five you bucks. found five bucks on the floor. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah or I like that. Or a pair of pants you haven't worn in a while. So, nice, <laughs> nice little discovery. I'm happy. Look. If you say the rest of them are shit, I'll be fine with that. Basically, uh, I just uh, wanted to hear that you thought School of Rock, because I think for a lot of millennials, we were the age of all the kids in the School of Rock. So, like, that's oh. why it just hits so hard yeah. with us. And um, 
All right. And that, the, the other great thing about it, it's got a, a terrific cast of, of, of young actors in it. I mean, just child mm. actors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the chances are it could have gone all cutesy and shit. Uh, but no, all these kids felt, they felt like stereotypes slash archetypes, but also yeah. real and kind of had personality. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 yeah, fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> all right. This one, I think, could rub people the wrong way if you don't like it. But again, be honest. What are your thoughts on the 2001 animated film, Shrek. Oh, uh, no, i got nothing against Shrek. <laughs> I, I think, you know, yeah, I, I think you Daniel like and I got in a bit of trouble. <laughs> I, well, no, I think I got in trouble because on a recent four-finger discount, I might have not dissed Shrek, but not properly respected Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect Shrek. He's a big deal yeah. for us. Um... <laughs> I like it fine. I think I think Mike Myers is actually really good casting. I would have loved to have heard the version with Chris Farley, but I honestly think that Mike Myers um, did the uh, did right by the character and did right by the movie and all that. And, you know, he had great uh, chemistry with Eddie Murphy and all that. It's got a lot of visual imagination. I mean, I think it's one of those movies where, like, say, with Halloween or something. Um, yeah, it influenced so much stuff going forward that you go back and watch the original and you go. Pretty good, I guess. No one's quite so special about it. No, no, no. It was here first. And it, it did this, all this stuff first. It it's sort of like those people who say, Oh, the Beatles weren't that good. And you're like, Yeah, but they were doing stuff that people hadn't done before, man. You don't get it, man. Like it's like that sort of vibe. Yeah. Now admittedly, Shrek is sort of riding on the on the coattails of Pixar, but I think Shrek also invented its own nah, no, it's not. Shrek's way better than Pixar. Sorry, guy. <laughs> Wrong opinion. <laughs> Don't say there were no wrong opinions, but mate, <laughs> no, Shrek did sort of start its own thing or its own genre with, you know, that very you know, pop music heavy soundtrack. Everything's a bit quippy, kind of glib. Yeah, but also very sentimental. Yeah, it's, um, I'm a fan. I think my favorite character out of the whole franchise is probably Puss in Boots though. Uh, yeah, Antonio Banderas does such a good job with that character. He really does. Yeah, so and he's just like the smooth talking cat. Yeah, I love it. Mm. But I must admit, if you put all four Shrek, because there's like four, aren't there? I mean, there's what yeah. Shrek, Shrek Two, Shrek the Third, Shrek Forever After, Correct. and there are various spinoffs. If you put all four in front of me, I'm like, I couldn't tell you what happened in two as opposed to four. Yeah, right, right. I, I do think the first one is, like, easily the most iconic, yeah. Mike Talks will be right back. Excuse this interruption, everyone. Just a small reminder that Mike Talks is part of the 20th Century Boy podcast. 20th Century Boy is my main solo podcast that comes out every Thursday. Follow the antics of me, Mike, a writer and producer from here in Melbourne, as I dissect and unpack the latest news in pop culture, like, like movies, games, music, and all other nerdy stuff. Plus, I'd love for you to check out my other podcast, Harry Potter and the Boys. It's a fan fiction Harry Potter podcast that I wrote when I was 13 years old. Each week, I get a comedian on to read a chapter from my fanfic. I've had Jack Post from Hamish and Andy, Tim McDonald from The Cheap Seats, Tim McDonald and Sam Garlep from The Cheap Seats, Dilruk Jayasena, Luke Kidgel, and many more. I'd love for you to become a part of the Radio Mike family and start listening to both of my shows. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. <laughs> We'll go on to the next one here. Um, now, I doubt you've seen this one, but I'm just going to put it out there. Because, But you would have seen a lot of movies you didn't want to see for your job, right? 
that's that's why they pay you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd, if you have seen this, I will be so happy. Have you seen? I think the 1999 film Pokemon: The First Movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. It's, I, I may have because I remember writing a review of a Pokemon. It, was this the sequel? Because there was, was another Pokemon movie before that? No, because it's Pokemon the first movie. I think this was the only one that hit cinemas in Australia. Okay, then. Yeah, because I think I wrote a review saying, yeah, I might be aging out. And this is me at 30. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember anything about what happened in the Not movie? really, no. Okay, so, right. I'm sorry. I, I can't give no. you a, a definitive opinion one way or another. So, so um, it could be the best movie ever. It could be the next Shawshank. It could well be. I mean, it could be like, oh, wow. Okay, there's Princess, Mono- Princess Mononoke and then there's this. You know, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, all right. More generally, any of the Harry Potter films? I got in, not, not in trouble, but uh, I was watching Goblet of Fire not long ago. Ah, uh, yes. And I think I wrote on Facebook or on Twitter saying, Possible best of the franchise. I know people love Azkaban, and they should. It's a it's a really good movie. Uh, Azkaban's the third one, right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. It sounds. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm impressed by how much you already know. I'm already sold on this one. <laughs> yeah. My my ex wife uh, really liked the Harry Potter movies, uh, the books. Sorry. Yeah. And so you know when the movies came out, when the first one came out in what 2001, we were like, yeah, yeah, go check out uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Or philosopher's stone if you're not an american um <laughs> those damn americans th- don't know what a yeah. philosopher is and i must admit i was like if they can sustain this through the whole thing they're going to do well because i mean they cast the three leads very well and i gotta say draco malfoy i thought tom um what's his name tom felton tom felton yeah was was very good as draco i mean they, they cast the kids very well but especially the core three yeah and then they just surround them with all, all the you know the best of british how can mm. you fail yeah, you know, uh, look, I don't want to go into much about J.K. Rowling uh, in terms of where she's at these days. Her opinion yeah. is her opinion. I think she's a fantastic storyteller, fantastic plotter and all that kind of business. A plotter of Potter. So uh, good so- at, like, leaving breadcrumbs and, like, bits that you're like, this is irrelevant, and then you're like, oh, that's now the biggest yeah. plot point in this series. <clears throat> Terrific big picture person. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I remember watching Goblet of Fire not long ago. My girlfriend's kids were going through the whole uh, series. Yeah. And yeah, I sat down for Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah. This is the one with Pattinson. I like that one. So, um, hey, I just really dug it. I was a big, big fan of Goblet of Fire. I think, yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban is probably the best made because Alfonso Cuaron, who directed that, and he made Gravity and a whole bunch of other stuff, is just a shit hot filmmaker. But Mike Newell, who made uh, Goblet of Fire, ain't bad either. And yeah, I just, has he directed anything else? Like um, Mike Newell, like I assume he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a bit of a sort of a uh, you know journeyman UK filmmaker. He made uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh. Uh, made a terrific gangster movie called Donnie Brasco with um, Johnny Depp and Al Pacino back in the uh, back in the late nineties. And yeah, I thought, well, you know, we'll get the special effects guys to handle the special effects, but this is a guy who knows how to work with actors and knows how to tell a story and all that kind of business. Look, I, I think not that it falls off in the second half, but I prefer the first half of the saga to the second half, if you know what I mean. Uh, in terms of the movies or the like the whole franchise? Oh, just in terms of the whole story, I think. It just gets a bit much near the end. 
So, I mean, I saw them all and I liked them all. I don't think there are any that I sort of walked out of going, nah, drop the ball on that one. I mean, the first two, they're very, they're very kids' movie. They're very for the... They are, yeah. They're very fun fantasy, look at this magic world, yeah. Yeah, and I think the third one, they start to get a bit darker and that's when, like, yes, that's for <laughs> cool cats like me. So, um, Azkaban and Goblet of Fire were probably my favourites. Where does where does when does Lupin show up? Lupin's prisoner of Azkaban. That's David Thewlis, yeah. David Thewlis, who I yep. love. I love so, that guy, and I thought he was. I thought he was really good in that in in that role. Azkaban's great because you get him, you get Gary Oldman as Sirius Black, um, and some great moments with them and Alan Rickman, you know, as Snape, and and they they brought those characters to life so well. So yeah, I love that so much. I was very I was very fortunate. Something I always do on um, <laughs> whether I'm with uh, uh, Charlie Clawson on Five Pop or with Dando on um, on uh, Four Finger Discount. I'll always say, okay, put your hard hat on because I'm going to drop some names. Here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, do it. Uh, Jason Isaac, who played uh, Lucius Malfoy, he was yeah. at uh, and he played Captain Hook in the 2003 Peter Pan film, which was great. He didn't. He was fantastic in that, and I think he was out filming it um, in Australia when he was promoting. Um, Chamber, Chamber of Secrets. Secrets. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Or, or it, it probably would have been Chamber of Secrets because that came out in 02 and then Peter Pan yeah. came out in 03. Yeah, but um, he, 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 he was a fantastic interview. I was lucky enough to speak to him a few times over the you know course of my career, and but uh, this was the first time. And uh, he was talking about the first time he was on the, the Harry Potter set. Mm. And um, he sort of did his Malfoy voice and he said... He said that Daniel Radcliffe said to him, is that your voice you're going to use? Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, you know, he he channeled Daniel Radcliffe just being this young actor. It's like, oh, you can do that. Oh, you're going to do it that way. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) It's like, oh, it just gave you a real insight to the, it just gave you a real insight into this whole, I don't know, esprit de corps that the the Potter cast had, you know, I mean, um, you're full full of just these shit hot best of British actors and all these enthusiastic young kids and they're all learning from one another and looking out for one another. It sounds like a really great atmosphere. I'm sure there was, you know, bad shit that went down. Not bad shit, but, you know, I'm sure people had bad days. Yeah. uh, I agree, though. It does seem like, you know, for a film that was predominantly based around child stars, most of those kids, and maybe it's the difference between an American production and a British production, but most of them as adults seem reasonably stable normal-ish yeah. people, whether they're in acting or yeah, not. Yeah. Well, look, um, whereas then you look at your Macaulay Culkins and I, I, I reckon like the Stranger Things kids, like I'm, I, I get worried about them. Like I'm always like, they're going to be the next washed up child stars and I hate it, but yeah. I, I like to think there have been some lessons learned from previous things and hopefully, you know, they've got adults or, or responsible people just keeping an eye on saying, yeah, you know, make sure you don't go too off the rails. I mean, the thing was, when they were first trying to get the Harry Potter movies off the ground, they approached Steven Spielberg to direct the first one. And he's like, I'll do it, but Hayley Joel Osment has to be Harry Potter. And, you know... I have heard yeah, this. Yeah, and he just worked <laughs> yeah. with, uh, you know, Hayley Joel Osment on AI. Who And, he, you know, the kid was a really, really good actor, and he still is. But, mm. yeah, it would have thrown everything just way off whack. I'm glad, I'm glad that J.K. Rowling had enough clout and enough sort of uh, insight to say, 
I'm going to say no to Steven Spielberg <laughs> because no, it has to be. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure her her um her philosophy was it had to be an entirely UK based cast, um, which is why there are no Americans really in that entire yeah. series. Um, hey, let's do one more, and then I've got my wrap up question for you, if that's cool. Oh, sorry, I'm talking. You were you were probably just a yes no answers. <laughs> no, no, no. This is exactly what I was after. I, I'd love to do this again, by the way, because I've still got five more Absolutely. movies. So if you ever want to do this Absolutely. again. But the last one, and this, I did say, as long as you like School of Rock, I'll be happy. But I think if you don't like this, I might end the call immediately. No, I'm joking. But um, what are your thoughts and have you seen the 2000 animated Disney film, The Emperor's New Groove, starring David Spade and John Goodman? I certainly have, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I am raising both hands in the air for audio listeners. Thank you. <laughs> Because it's my favourite movie of all time, I think. It's it's an utterly charming movie. It's, you know, let's throw a little, not even a little love, a lot of love to Patrick Warburton, you know. Oh, yes. Who, he? I mean, he is just the show's, the movie's breakout and just delivers in every single scene. He's the comedic heart of the film. Like, it just works because of Kronk, I think. Yeah. Now you you probably already know this, but you know it it, it underwent a it was the the process of making it was really tortured. Yeah, you know, the, I've seen the, the documentary um, the Sweatbox, which talks about yeah. how it because it started as a musical called Kingdom in the Sun, Kingdom in the Sun or of the Sun or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was Owen Wilson, I think. And was it was it Woody Harrelson and David Spade or something like that? I think Owen Wilson was attached. Yeah. Yeah. But they and they they had songs and Sting was writing the score and then then they changed it to the Emperor's New Groove last minute and Sting got shafted <laughs> and the whole documentary's just got Sting being pissed off that they're not using any of his songs. <laughs> There's a terrific article um, on the New York Magazine culture section called Vulture. If you Google Vulture yep. Emperor's New Groove, you'll find this very long oral history of the making of um, Emperor's New Groove. It goes into a bit of, uh, I think it might be repeating a bit of stuff that's in that Sweatbox documentary, but it's also got some some interesting info as well. But yeah, no, Emperor's New Groove, very good movie. No, I, it was doing- I just thought comedically it's just, it was so unique for a Disney film and it just the breaking of the fourth mm. wall and the acknowledgement that things in the movie weren't adding up and didn't make sense. As a kid, I was just like, I'd never seen that. What? And I'm like, what? They know they're in a movie? A very quirky sense of humor, really, really funky visual style as well. Yeah, there's yeah. A, a really a lot to enjoy in The Emperor's New Grove. Well, I love that. Well, I'll get on to our final question. And the final question does take another five to 10 minutes. So I apologize in advance for that. But basically, I like to wrap up, and I'm really interested in your thoughts on this by asking the guest what is one movie, album, book and if you if you're into them video game that you think everyone should experience in their life it doesn't have to be your favorite it's just something that you're like i think everyone should hear this album see this movie read this book play this game okay uh, i'm not really a gamer <laughs> i mean I, I, okay. I will say mortal Kombat. it's <laughs> oh we love mortal Kombat. the fatalities all of it i have i have a, a good young friend liam who is always trying to sort of get me into gaming and I'm like, oh, too many buttons. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> too much to think about. Yeah, just, just let me, me watch a movie. A, I don't have to do any input. Give me a joystick and a you know a fire button. Let me you know let me just play Galaxian or Galaga or something where I can blow the shit out of a bunch of aliens. I don't want to have to walk through. <laughs> the Last of Us looks great. It looks yeah. I, I really I'm a huge fan of how immersive games have become. Yeah, uh, but it almost feels like. This is going to be too much for me. <laughs> oh, no, uh, don't worry. I'm there as well. Like I've talked on my pod about how I turn on a game and there's like 10 minutes of cut scenes and stuff. And I'm like, I've switched off already. Oh, I'm yeah. not into this. Here's the other thing. My, uh, my nephew, Rory, he's, oh, my man, shout out. I don't know if he's listening, but. Shout I'll, out to I'll, Rory. I'll, I'll tell him to listen. Tell but, him to listen. There's, be <laughs> like, Rory, there's a special surprise for you in the podcast. Try to find it. <laughs> But he sent me a link to like some cutscenes from the most recent Mortal Kombat. It was like two hours oh, worth yeah. of them. You know, and it's really yeah. terrific animation. Do you do you have an adult audience, Michael? Is it a youthful audience? I mean, uh, I reckon generally males between eighteen to thirty-four. They'll be fine then. When I say that, I got really stoned and watched the cutscenes. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lead anyone astray. <laughs> I got very baked and watched the cutscenes from all. I was like, "This is yeah. dope! This is fantastic!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why wasn't the better than just why wasn't the new Mortal Kombat movie more like this? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, quick side note: what what did you think of the new Mortal Kombat movie? It, and then we'll get back fine. to the last question. It was fine. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, it, it, was it? It certainly wasn't bad. Joel Edgerton was he no. was amazing. The Aussie guy, Josh oh, Josh Lawson. Who was it? Josh Lawson, he was fantastic. He was I really good, ockering it up as Kano. Yeah. That was fantastic. Mm. Uh, but being, you know, sort of a young man of the 90s, I recognised that the Paul W.S. Anderson Mortal Kombat from 95, 95, 96? Anyway, it not necessarily great, but yeah, it's not good, but it's great, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, you got, I know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, great. Is it any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Movies. Okay, then. Uh, well, look, you could say the classics. I mean, everyone should watch The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two in their life. One I personally recommend is called Out of Sight. Uh, it's, okay. It stars George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, made in 1998 by the great filmmaker Steven Soderbergh. Um, crime caper uh, Clooney is this career bank robber who usually ends up in prison because he never uses a gun. He, he tries to be George Clooney charming, and sometimes he gets away with it, Mostly, mostly he doesn't. He's ended up in prison. Uh, J, uh, J-Lo is the federal marshal who is on his trail and also has a bit of a crush on him, and they both have kind of a crush on each other. It is it is smart. It is sexy. The, the soundtrack absolutely kicks ass. Um, it's got, you know, just a wealth of great supporting actors. Not to compare my... I am in no way comparing myself to Quentin Tarantino when I say this, but uh, Tarantino said something once like, if I'm going out on a date with a girl and, you know, we're about three dates in, I'm going to show her the Western Rio Bravo and she better like it or there's not going to be a fourth date. (laughs) On like a (laughs) second or third date or somewhere along the line, if I'm, yes, with a partner and it's a really good movie to watch with a, with a partner, like, I hope you like Out of Sight because we're going to watch Out of Sight tonight. (laughs) Uh, so that's it's like in, have you seen have you seen how i met your mother where um ted says his fiance's never seen star wars and then it cuts to marshall and he's like ted the only people who haven't seen star wars are the characters in star wars and that's because they lived the star wars ted they lived them 
I can I can hear Jason Segel stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Book an album. Uh, I think the album would have to be Grace by Jeff Buckley. Oh, is that the one with Hallelujah? It is indeed, yeah. And that's a great way to bring it back to Shrek because Rufus Wainwright's cover of Shrek of Hallelujah <laughs> is in that is in that movie. Yeah, look, uh, Jeff Buckley, you know, taken from us far too soon. He went for an ill-fated midnight swim in the Mississippi back in 97 and drowned. But he left us with, um, you know, a bunch of outtakes and a bunch of, uh, you know, records cobbled together from various sessions and that and one perfect album in uh, Grace. It's it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. I was fortunate enough to see him live in Melbourne back in the mid-90s and actually got to shake the man's hand and got my copy of Grace signed. So... uh, yeah, but that's um, that's one definitely worth listening to. Books. I, I, love um, that I don't know if you can well. see this. Hang on a sec. But yeah, cases full of books over there, so I've got to pick one. <laughs> um, Doesn't have to be fiction. Can be nonfiction, self help, like anything that you've just been like, this was really good to read. That's uh, oh damn man. <laughs> um, There's a lot of books. <laughs> hmm. Looking at my, I'm looking at my man Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Because uh, right I've got pretty much everything by by uh, Big Steve. <laughs> well, actually, up to a certain point, I think there was a, uh, a time around the mid nineties because I used to. It would his book would come out in paperback. His latest book would come out in paperback. Of course, I'd snap it up and like I got no plans for the rest of the you know next few days. I'm just going to be mainlining Stephen King here. But I think I stopped around maybe ninety six or ninety seven, and occasionally we'll pick up some from there. But stuff from the classics. Um, this, this may sound like a dubious choice, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Pet Cemetery. I've never liked, I don't think I've liked the movies that they've made of it because it is one of King's most atmospheric books. It's one of his most horrific, absolutely. Uh, but not in a really, not in a big, bold, obvious way, just one in a way that sort of get, gets under your skin. Um, it's very, very sad, <laughs> um, but also just full of heart as well. It's It's just... I remember reading it in my mid-teens and, you know, walked in one page, walked in page one, one person walked out the end page, a different person's like, this was so good. And it affected me in ways that, you know, it affected me more than I thought it would. I thought I'm just going to get a you know, nice little Stephen King horror story here, but it taught me you know, a lot about love, loss, family, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this look- is kind of like me with Shrek guy. Nice. <laughs> Sorry to undermine that sentiment. No, 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 no. <laughs> wherever, wherever you get it, wherever you get that <laughs> feeling is valid. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that description though. Like, like clearly the thematic content resonated with you. I've only seen the recent film, which I didn't mind, but yeah, it is amazing when a book kind of just touches you like that and you're like, wow. Mm, yeah. So that's one that certainly uh, that leaps to mind. I'm, I'm I'll tell you what, when we when we do part two of this and then part three and part four, um, I will have more titles for you. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, that that's about it. We've gone a bit over, so sorry to keep you an extra five minutes, but I've loved every second of oh, this. And, and, and again, I'd love to do this again sometime. Um, do you want to just give a quick plug to the listeners where they can hear you, find you, see you, whatever you want? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, look, I'm part of the Four Finger Discount Network. Uh, the, our flagship show is Four Finger Discount, which uh, goes through every episode of The Simpsons from beginning to, you know, from the beginning of the series up to whenever it ends, which is probably going to be never. We're somewhere around 
I think we're near the end of season 16 right now. So yeah, it's been a really nostalgic season for me, actually. Like I've been listening each week and I'm, and the, one of the recent ones you had on was the one, uh, the one with uh, Ray Romano, Don't Fear the Roofer. Yeah. And I just like, I listened to that one. I'm like, I forgot that's a, that's, I really like that episode. Maybe it's because I really like Ray Romano, but it's it's a nostalgic period of the show, I'm finding. Absolutely. And look, we've been, both Dan and I have been surprised by the quality of the episodes. You know, there was a, mm. a sort of general consensus, like, ah, it's starting to lose the plot or it lost the plot around season 12 and, you know, never really got it back. We're like, no, no, there's stuff in here that's, you know, not everyone's a winner. And, you know, you can see there's a little bit of wear and tear on the whole format and the characters and all that, but... Yeah, there's there's gems in there, you know, either little gems in the episode or the episode itself is a bit of a gem. So, yeah, there's that. So we do uh, The Simpsons, Four Finger Discount, but we've got, you know, um, uh, Talking Steinfeld, Going Down to South Park, uh, Tales of Futurama. Dando does one with his uh, his lovely wife, Nicola, uh, the one about friends. So they're you know, covering friends. Um, Mitch is actually back doing stuff for the patrons. He would be they're doing uh, uh, counting on old episodes and occasionally do... Uh, the Movie Guys podcast, which is reviews. We just did a, we did one of the Truman Show not long ago, which we were really happy with, but we did record one yesterday for Starship Troopers for the 25th anniversary. With Neil Patrick Harris. He's in that, isn't he? With Neil Patrick Harris as the <laughs> as the psychic space Nazi. So yeah, that's a fantastic movie. And I think we did a really good episode on it. That's going to be coming out soon. So yeah, there's those. Um, I As you mentioned at the, at the start, I will occasionally hear on, uh, appear on Fofop. Opposite uh, my man Charlie Clawson, um, you know, talking movies. We have uh, about six or seven episodes with the heading the video store, the video store. So it's uh, you know just um, a couple of middle-aged dudes talking about their movie memories. It's, it's great. I, I have I have such a good time yeah, doing they, that with they're Charlie. Fun to listen to. The most yeah. recent one was um, favorite movie soundtrack, like uh, well, movie yeah. soundtrack picks, and Mortal Kombat came up in that, didn't it? Because I yeah, edited it, that one. If, uh, if you want to hear a couple of middle-aged guys yelling at each other, <laughs> um, by all means, tune in. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's those. And I think Charlie and I are going to be recording another one soon. He hit me up with an, ep- uh, an uh, episode idea. So hopefully we'll get that in the, in, the, uh, in the can before Christmas. And what else? If you, I don't know, <laughs> if this wasn't enough Guy Davis for you, yeah, feel free to find me on Twitter at Robert Guy Davis. Um, uh, also on Facebook, not really on Instagram. I'm, uh, um, I think I've got maybe six pictures in all the time I've been on Instagram. But uh, yeah, Twitter. All right, everyone, go follow Guy on Instagram and like all the pictures to make him post. It's more. it's really Get just me putting it. spirits. <laughs> it's me being what they call a wife guy, except it's my girlfriend. But I'm just like, look how gorgeous she is. Am I right? <laughs> I'm a lucky. I'm guy. a lucky fella. So yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, awesome. And that's uh. Well, that's about the extent of it, and you know, occasional bylines in um, on some websites here and there. I'm, I'm, I haven't written as much for a while, but I'm trying to sort of you know stretch those muscles again back into it. So you know, um, watch this space. There'll be a bit of podcast stuff and a bit of writing stuff. Hopefully in 2023. Awesome guy, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this has been awesome, Mike. It was my absolute pleasure. Yeah. As I said, you're the hardest working young man in show business. So uh, I'm, I'm so glad you took a moment out of your schedule to to have a chat with me. Uh, big, big fan of just you, know, you handling the pots and pans on all these various uh, various projects and wish you the best of success with you know what you've got moving forward because it's, you know, 
going to be all Mike all the time from what I understand. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mike Talks. Hey, if you like this, there are heaps of other episodes all on this feed. Just type Mike Talks. There are episodes up there with Jack Post from Hamish and Andy, Broden Kelly from Auntie Donna, Goggleboxes, Adam and Simon, and as well as that, Guy's on-air partner, Brendan Dando from Four Finger Discount. Here's a little excerpt of that before we go. Because that moment to me was my favourite Star Wars moment in my lifetime. It was so funny. So I'm sitting there, it's about 12.30 at night. I have to wait till the kids go to bed. Nick has gone to bed. I've done some editing on the podcast. I'm sitting on the couch. That's my Mando time. I'm sitting there, it's about 12.30. And that X-Wing goes past. And I just went, and I like left, that, left my chair and I was just froze like this for about five minutes. I was shaking. I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. And then when, can we, can we do spoilers? If, yeah, if so, you haven't seen Mando, Luke Skywalker yeah. <laughs> is in the last episode. <laughs> but, but then when, when R2-D2 comes out, it got me. Like I've yeah, never yeah. cried at anything Star Wars related. Oh, wow, I, man. I, I had a tear trickle down my face. It was like revisiting old friends, you know? Hear that episode and all the episodes of Mike Talks right here on the 20th Century Boy feed. Thanks for checking out my podcast and take a listen to the most recent episode and join the fun. This podcast was a Radio Mike original production. Head to radiomike.com.au to check out all our other content. Stay up to date at radio.mike on Instagram and get in touch. Radiomikepod at gmail.com.